Welcome to Counting Day vs. the Machine. My name is Kyle. And I'm uh, talking to a microphone that had hair on it just a few seconds. Damn that machine. <laughs> Damn him. And I'm the machine. This is a podcast where a sentient machine is, is forcing us each season to watch movies from a specific year in order to prevent it from starting the apocalypse. The machine still threatens our lives if we don't review the films it asks us to, although we do tend to talk about the ideas of the movie rather than the movie itself. And today, in our penultimate episode Ooh, it's kind of sad penultimate sad five dollar word there for your folks today we're watching two films and we're going to start off by talking about the palm door winner of 2018 shoplifters we just saved the best for second last So Dave, uh, I know what you've been up to. So Dave, good. What are you doing? Uh, I've been sick for four weeks, and I keep clearing my throat. Whose fault is that? Um, science. You keep getting these jabs and you still keep getting sick. Yeah. So who's the fool now? I know. I, I'm thinking about reinstating my Facebook account so that the world can know about the hoax. <laughs> Letters can be addressed to uh, at dyun at gmail.com. I don't know if yeah, that's even that's, someone's email address. That's not yours. Yeah, that's about it. We watched these. I've been watching some other bad movies and uh, some good Listen, I've had a chock-a-block last couple of weeks. <laughs> Chalk a block okay. of great Japanese films. Oh, I've what did you watch? Well, we watched Shoplifters. We'll yeah. talk about that in yeah. a moment. Yeah. But I watched The Boy and the Heron. No, oh, yeah. supposed to. Hell, won tickets. So Emerson and I are going to go soon. I'd be interested to see how you like it. It is very spirit away, but even more magical. It doesn't tell you what's going on. When I saw the classic Heron grows human teeth and starts talking in the trail. I was like, you know, that heron is disgusting in some <laughs> scenes. Like, absolutely gross. Yeah, it worked for me a lot. It worked for me a lot. And then, but we Mel does gross. We went and saw another Japanese yep. film called Godzilla Minus One, which was amazing. Which, no joke, is in my top five films of the year. I like it that it's much. It's fantastic. <laughs> Actually, there's an actress that's in this movie and in that movie. I saw her credit, but who was she in Godzilla? She's a neighbor. The woman. Uh, oh, oh, yeah. Oh, oh yes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And she's the mom in this one. I just reckon that. I just put yep. those two things together. Yeah. A Godzilla movie that's underscored by an existential question of what it means to be a man. I have to see, as the person <laughs> on this podcast who has watched all 37 Godzilla movies, crazy. I am confident in telling you, and, and Godzilla fans get mad when I say this, but most of them awful yeah. and just dreadfully bad. Sure. This is one of the best ones that they've ever made, partly because of that, where the human storyline actually is something you want to watch in between like the monster attacking and everything. The metaphor is, I think, pretty beautiful. Gets a little cheesy at the end, but I think it's, it kind of earns itself. Yeah. Yeah. It earns yeah. itself there. Yeah. Um, and as I always say, I get so jazzed when I hear his the, hands start twitching. The Godzilla theme <laughs> kick in. Yeah. You know, yeah. when he appears, you have the like, blah, 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 blah. Yeah. But then it's like, ba 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 ba. It's like, yes, sign in this. The ships are coming. So we watched in the theater where they had the volume at 11. <laughs> I honestly think it was probably like 12. 
It was like ear shattering in some of those scenes. I was holding my earplugs, but I didn't put it in because they lull you at the beginning, right? There's a nice dramatic slow entry and you're like, oh, it's not so bad. It's just a couple guys talking in the war about what it means to be a coward and how he didn't want and to kill himself. Yeah. And then the, the music comes you're like, oh my God, I can't hear anything. Uh, but it was worth it. But what else? Um, but anyways, those are the big uh, Japanese the big films that I've watched. Yeah. Uh, I also liked some other indie films that I've been watching here recently. Mm-hmm. I will go, I am one of the people who loves the holdovers that just came out here. Oh, the Pluggy Amati one. I, uh, I just saw the trailer on Apple TV. So it I, is. And well, here's the thing. It looks like Oscar bait, frankly. Yeah, fine. I don't even know what that really means anymore, but fine. A film that's designed for awards. Sure. And not for an audience. I think that movie is much different than what the trailers make oh, it to be. In, in fact, it makes it look like it's a comedy film when it is not a comedy I film. Comedy, I got Mr. Holland's opus or like... Uh, yeah. That's except, the vibe. That's except the vibe. more depressing than that, I think. Well, it's Paul Giamatti. Yeah. He's never happy. Yeah, no, it's like, he, it's like uh, we need a sad sack in our lead role. Uh, Paul, are you available? There's only one man. There's only one man who could fill this role. Yes, we are talking about shoplifters. As we said, it was a very well reviewed at the time, although... I should actually double check. I don't think it actually was even nominated for the Oscar that year. I've never heard of it. Uh, no. Oh, I've heard of it. Oh, I heard of it. Let me just do a double check here. Really? It's going to reload the page? Nice. Okay. Oh, it was. Okay, sorry. It was. But it was up nominated. against, it was nominated, but it was up against um, Cold War, which we also watched mm-hmm. this year, mm-hmm. and uh, Roma, which we also watched uh, this year, right. and Roma wins, okay. which... I would have probably awarded the Shoplifters, personally. That's just a me thing. Yeah, we'll talk about it. Shoplifters is a better film, mm-hmm. but Roma had great cinematography. Yes, so I would. like, okay. yeah. I mean, Burning has great cinematography. Maybe too good. Well, not that Burning yet. I, I want to throw to you first, Dave. Yeah, sure. what, uh, what were your thoughts on Shoplifters? Yeah, yeah it was fantastic. I, cry, I don't want to say cried, not like sobbed. But I, I cried like three or four times watching the stupid thing. Why? Uh, At what points? I think... As a parent, uh, when they introduce not just the lonely girl, but we learn that she's abused, yeah. ugh, that was rough. As we travel through this family's sort of defining themselves in their roles as family, that's kind of emotional. The grandmother passing away, there's a matriarch. And at the end, when everything kind of on this beautiful house of cards, mm-hmm. and you're like lulled and thinking, they are great, and they break it open, and it's like, it's pretty hard hitting too. The performances are fantastic. As far as I know, since I don't speak Japanese, I haven't seen his other films. I know you were telling me to watch The Broker. I haven't seen that. But just looking at the synopses of all his philosophy, this guy clearly came from a troubled childhood because he's obsessed with these like uh, constructions of family, right? It feels like all his Yeah, I, I think every artist has those things that they're just fascinated yeah. by or kind of return to again and again. I don't disagree with that necessarily. Can I be so bold? I don't think you need to be a suffering artist, meaning that you have to live in squalor in order to become a great artist. No. But I do think you have to go through stuff in order to understand and how to yeah. talk to the human condition, if I can use like a lofty in phrase. Perspective, yeah. 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 Otherwise, you think everything's fine. Yeah, right. Everything sucks. And then you die. Uh, I, I agree with that. I, I know you did not read the article that I sent it to you. you send me an article? Sure did. And you said you did not read it. Um, How long ago? Let's not look that up. Like three days. Three days ago? Yeah. Um, I'm not going to get into it because I am not an expert on this. I'm not even going to pretend. You sent me a goat emoji. 
I did to do a goat emoji, but it's this Asian specifically, or sorry, Asian generally, but a very Japanese turn of phrase on oh, else yeah. stories are constructed. Like as a base jumping off point, this is not to say like every story told in Japan is told this way. It's not. It's not to say that this is the best way to tell stories. It's just a way to tell stories. But something that I have been really um, grappling with here recently, uh, because I'm going to be making my own uh, some short films in the new year. Or movie flex. Is in the West, we have this idea, and it has definitely become, in my opinion, almost like militarized because of social media, where it's like, good stories have to do this. And mm. it's the have to that I kind of push back yeah. against, where it's like, it has to be a hero's journey. You have to have a three-act structure. It has to be this thing. You need a man. Right. It's like, you absolutely need to have like major conflict that comes to blows at the end. And I'm like, ah, I don't know if you do to make a good movie. This whole concept and a lot of Miyazaki's movies fit into this, not everyone, but a lot of them do. And I'm going to totally butcher this name, which is Kisho Tenketsu. Yeah, that sounds right. Um, and it's this four steps where it's like, you have the first two parts and the third part is the twist. They call it the twist. And then you have your final resolution. The basic difference is this is that that does not require there to actually ever be, quote-unquote, a villain mm. and, and a hero meeting up and there to be that type of conflict inside the story. Okay. Uh, I think Shoplifters is just a great example of mm. this story structure where it's the audience who's going on a journey. And, I mean, there's stuff that's happening to our characters, of course, but there's a big revelation that gets given to us, like, oh, okay, that recontextualizes what I thought I saw. And then we kind of wrap up the movie. There is no like right. um, major bad person who comes into their lives. Yeah. They're not like rising up against uh, with 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 each other to like fight off a foe. Right. It's just like we're just letting this reveal letting itself, life, right? Sort of thing. Yeah. Which is all to say that uh, it totally works for me. There's definitely moments that are just complete diversions. Yeah. On this, and we're just seeing them live. Like they go to the beach, or they go and have this conversation over here. Does that quote unquote add to the plot? No, but well, I answer the character. Yes, yeah. that's the characters, yeah, yeah, yeah. and I think that that is just um, is kind of a, a just a different way than the West has always presented it. Yeah, and for whatever reason, maybe it's just because it's newer to me, or it's not the stories that I normally watch. It always is like, oh, this is such a breath of fresh air because mm -hmm. I don't really know what's going to happen. And I know context well. of yeah. what's happening. Fine. Yeah, what it's done well, mm -hmm. and I think I think that's totally it's a great thing. I I scanned your your article. I remember mm -hmm. that. I didn't read it. So I can't really speak to that, but I will speak to how you describe it. I feel like we talked about this a little bit when we watched Yi. Sure. And we, we and then when we truly controversially talked about the Tatami Mad Guy, Osu or whatever his name is. I think he's keep going back to that. Yes, it's Tokyo story. Which is similar to this too, where we're just kind of being inserted into a moment in a, yes. let's say a family's life. Actually all three of them are about a family. Yes. And we have to interpret what is displayed for us through our own lens, really. I mean, you know, you only get out of it what you're uh, putting into it, I suppose. And you're not being directed like you were talking about. I can't remember the phrase you just used, but milita militant. Yeah. Anyways. Where a story has to follow these steps in order yeah. for it to be good. Which, which, yeah, that rote nature is what makes so many movies so exhausting now because uh, it's not just predictability. It's, yeah, it's just, uh, yeah, you feel, you feel trapped. You feel trapped in the story. Uh, but when this is done poorly, you know, I can't give you an example right now, but it has that threat of just being nothing. You know, it's just yeah. loose. And uh, particularly if you're in a hardline cultural context, if we didn't understand how families operated in a 
I say there's, if there's like a Mormon film or something and mm. we have to understand what it's like to get along with so many sister wives, like, I, you know, it might be problematic in that coding, but this one's interesting because the family ideal I can identify with and uh, I like it. I like this idea that all of them come from shitty families and so they built one that they think works the best mm -hmm. and then the twist comes and you're like, did it work the best? Well, that, I think are that, they okay? I think that's the magical thing about this film is like, oh, these people are going to be, especially those kids, they're going to be so traumatized by this experience. And yet this was probably the best, like as nurturing of a, of a family or found family that they could have had in their given circumstances. And maybe that's a little bit tragic and stuff as well, because it's, I mean, I don't really want to get into the conversation of like morally good or bad, but just do like, it's a dialogue. We know that these, this mother and father have killed someone in the past. Yeah. That they have basically just robbed random people. And correct me if I'm wrong, they did steal the boy, the boy from a car. Yeah. I, so. They, I don't, did they suggest he was abandoned? Yes. I think that's a suggestion, but I don't know if that's ever verified. And I think by the end, we are un made to understand that the father figure's word is worth nothing. Right. That guy's that's a compulsive I mean. liar. Yes. But the mom comes around at the end. She's the one that reveals that the that he can go back. Or no, the cops do. It doesn't matter. Yeah, that ending too when he's on the bus. Spoiler alert! I think that got me too. Those, it's just it's just fascinating to watch human beings being human beings mm -hmm. make these big mistakes. I mean, it's a film, so the mistakes are dramatic. Like I've never had my pseudo grandmother die and decide I got to bury her under the house to avoid suspicion that we murdered her. So, so you've not done that before. I also like that there are different elements of broken families. It's not just abandoned kid or we murdered an abusive ex-husband. We also had the granddaughter who's like a cam girl, essentially. Yeah. Uh, but we see her family and how they're middle class and her sister's your quote unquote good schoolgirl, And mm -hmm. like they seem totally fine, but they have this secret daughter that lives in squalor. You know, it's, mm -hmm. it's great. You get these little, you get these little uh, points and counterpoints that make it so compelling. And that's the thing. It's like, it's paced really well. You know, we had to watch it with a few commercials, but I didn't want to stop watching. I didn't feel bored. I didn't like move my gaze away. This film is really well, well made. Yeah, Sorry. it's well constructed. Good, the, the, the only other movie I have seen of his is the one that I saw at the Calgary International Film Festival this year, which was called Monster. Oh, that's uh, the new one. Okay. Which is um, also on my uh, top 10 list of the year. Ooh, yeah. Now, some people have told me that that's one of his weaker films. I've, I loved it. It was only the second one I've seen of his. So yeah. maybe... Oh, you didn't watch the one with the Korean... No. The, that is the weird adoption? one. It is a, that's a Korean film, but made by a Japanese director. So I guess a Japanese film starring yeah. Korean people? Although the, one, although the one we're going to talk about next is also the same thing. It's a Japanese director doing a Korean... Burning is a Japanese director? I think so. I thought it was a Korean director, but it's based on Murakami. We'll look maybe it up before what we start there. It, maybe I was confused because I was reading up on it just a little bit yesterday and it said it was like a Japanese-Korean co-production or something like yeah, that. Yeah, I could see that. Okay. Yeah, because there's a, some rights problem. Murakami's kind of an interesting guy and I don't think... I think he's the kind of guy who's like, you want to make a movie, make a movie, but then he doesn't actually own oh, all of his literature, right? Gosh, the publisher, so... Mm -hmm. Nobody should have a copyright. Okay, I'll well, take a quick. Regardless of that, is like um, as you might suspect. Um, yes, uh, it does involve a family. The, the the interesting part about Monster, I think, is that it is uh, it's another like Rashomon almost like story, okay. where it's three parts, 
and you just keep getting more information supplied to you. So it's like, oh, what I thought this movie was is totally not what this movie is. As soon as you get more. Also, that deals, interestingly enough, having only watched these two, uh, deals with uh, child abuse. Mm. So there might be something to, to I, his sure fans. Watch yeah. The other one that's on Netflix for now, The Broker. I'm sure it's probably the same thing mm-hmm. because that's what I mean. These, these come from, it feels like, without knowing anything about this director, these come from some level of lived experience mm-hmm. because they're very authentic. You know, you don't just sit down and write a story about not just child abuse and abandonment, but of people hiding in a little fucking house sure. in the back alley of a Japanese street in Tokyo. Like these things come from somewhere, right? It's, so he knows someone or he's heard, read a story about people that live like this. It's fascinating. And I do like the other ethical thing, which is interesting, calling a shoplifters. And we see that our presumption of what it means to live a good life is not just faithfulness or yeah, this Christian ideal of uh, nuclear families, but like how we interact with society. And, you know, when we see stories of poverty or drug abuse, uh, giving mm, what we might call the bad guys some moral character underneath it, seeing people that steal to eat, love each other and support each other it's a fascinating way to build tension because you want to like them so much but they're also doing things that normally we would condemn so um, it's a great insight into sort of mm-hmm. I don't know if it's necessarily capitalist rhetoric because they don't really go into politics but there's something there there's a tension yeah and I trying to exist there I also though like that moment where the shopkeeper basically oh, yeah. Mr. he knows that they've been shoplifting Everybody this knows. entire time yeah. And he's like, just don't let your sister yeah, draw the lines this. Over, yeah. Like, you can do this if you want to. I like the the subtext of that is like, you're already too far gone, eight year old boy. But uh, yeah, it's probably a little bit older. But like yeah, 10, yeah, yeah, maybe ten. Yeah. Um, but the daughter, like, let's not yeah. let's not corrupt her. Baby, let's. Mm-hmm. And she's and he's probably also thinking like, she's so bad at it. I mean, she's just so bad at it. <laughs> I mean, come on, you got to train her a little bit harder. Yeah, I don't know if like the. The, the finger uh, thing that they do for wishes, maybe that's Japanese. Like those little things maybe read better in Japan. Maybe there's like sure. some humor in that. But it's it's great. It is a very interesting film. I uh, I liked all of it, honestly. I, I like how it's shot. I, yeah. uh, it's framed really well. I was, I was, what I was noticing about it, I guess for the texture of the film is nothing that blew me out of the water, but it's the actual framing mm-hmm. of the movie. He has such a great eye for like, oh, we're going to place the camera here so I yeah. can reveal something <laughs> yeah. or the characters are going to walk through the center of the frame or whatever it's going to be. So like just really on on top of like, how do I place people inside yeah. of the movie frame in the most interesting way? The only, yeah, the only slight detraction with that for me was I felt like maybe he had a decision that he was going to follow the boy's story more because I think in the first section, the boy is quite central in a lot of sure. framing and the story and then he kind of disappears in the center as we get more about the girl and the the couple and then he kind of comes back to close out the story at the end well i wonder if that again i i know this 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 just because it's so top of mind i wonder if that is again a japanese thing because i've now been reading like a bunch of interviews about miyazaki here in the last week since i watched his uh supposedly last film uh he's gonna have to he's gonna have to clint it he's gonna have to die if he I, i'm sorry i am a thousand percent sure he's going to make a movie while he's ni- in his 90s. But regardless, let's say this is his last film. He was asked in his classic curmudgingly way, uh, he he was asked about some of the things that happened in the movie because I know that there are some critics of the movie who have labeled like, some of this doesn't make sense. Like, why is this scene here? And they asked him this directly and his response was like, to be honest with you, I don't know why that's in the film. I just knew I had to let it out of me. 
right? And I think that that might just be a Japanese thing, perhaps, where it's like, maybe they can't say 100% why this has to be in the movie. It's just like, it just has to, because it's cute. I think that's, I think that happens when someone thinks that they're comfortable in their craft. Yeah. Like you'll see that with photographers or other film, like the, uh, not savants, what's the word we don't like? Auteur. Auteurs to do that, right? Like, I, have, I have something to say about that next next time we record. But the, you know, and particularly like later stage, Ridley Scott and Martin Scorsese right. and all this stuff, like they're getting over long because they have yeah. this sense like, well, it's supposed to be here. And then we as the viewer can ask rhetorically, like, was it supposed to be there? Because it's shit. But some, yeah, I, I agree. I agree. There's there's moments where there is like um, uh, indulgence on the part of the artist. But there's other times where it's like, yeah, maybe this scene does, again, I'll just use shoplifters as the example. Like, do you absolutely need, oh, I keep going back to the beach scene. Like, do you absolutely need that scene? Yes. I you know I agree you, yes you do yeah. but I could see someone in the West being like let's cut it because it's not advancing the plot in any conceivable way. Well, I, I don't know. I, you know feel, I feel like I mean, I think there can things that can happen in a movie that don't necessarily add quote unquote to it, but are necessary to be there. I th- well, I think yeah, add plot wise one thing, add characters another because we get. I mean, that's the that's kind of the crescendo of the reprieve, right? That's the end of the beautiful moments, yeah. and we finally get this. We're not seeing a family of squalor. We're seeing the culmination of all their love. Um, we have that father-son moment talking about boners. We have like this kid running out and making, you know, everybody, everybody's just there. And then we have that beautiful muted scene of the grandmother saying goodbye because mm-hmm. uh, she knows she's going to die. Spoiler alert. And then when she passes away, that's when, you know, really the bedrock of this thing disappears and uh, we see it for what it actually is. And that's exciting too because... They don't hold back on that either. We're getting police interviews. It just turns into a whole thing, which is fascinating. I don't know. I don't, I don't think that's why like this, the runtime for this film is like an hour and 45 minutes. Uh, yeah. Hour 50, something like that. It's under two hours. Under yeah. two hours. So I think the pacing to have scenes where you might question why there's, it's even in there compared to like, I just, I was just shit talking Dial of Destiny sure. for a while before we pressed record. That movie is two and a half hours and should have been 40 minutes, like, content-wise, right? <laughs> sure. No, I, I agree. There's no real intrigue. The twists suck. This, this is always my thing, though, is, like, you can justify... Well, let's just keep it at two hours. You can justify a two-hour-long movie where, quote-unquote, like, nothing happens if the characters are interesting and or the dialogue is, like, really crackling and full of wit or something like yeah. that, right? It makes you question something about yourself, right? Indiana Jones is not that. No. At all. And this one is, where it's like, I'm, yes, nothing, quote-unquote, is happening, but I'm interested uh, in what's going on. Yeah, I mean, I, I think that's a little heavy-handed. Like, lots of stuff happens. Like, we see a little girl right I know, but it, it's a lot of just, like, talking to people. That's what I mean. It's like, it's not, like, high-action set pieces or anything. Fine, it's not an action not. film, of course, but I think... Nothing happening is more like a Scandinavia where people yeah, just you, talk. You're your right? hate on Bergman <laughs> and I'm all over it. I like yeah. gobble that stuff That's up. That's more nothing than this is, right? And still something's happening. Like uh, even uh, what's the one we watched? Stalker. It's such yep. a weird film. And uh, you could argue nothing happens even though lots of stuff is happening because at the end it's like this kind of closed loop. Mm-hmm. I wish I could close your loop. The Asian cinema in the storytelling, especially this Japanese... I think idea of a matured subdued drama, you know, we were, we've also been kind of talking, you and I recently where I don't think we're as close friends now. We don't see each other once a week. No, but, uh, Korean culture has ascended, but Helen and I keep talking about like, where did Japanese culture go? Because Japanese J-pop was first yeah. and they're gone or sort of, they're trying yeah. to fight back. 
Japanese movies in the 90s and 2000s were like, you have to only watch Japanese yeah. films. And now, do we even know that they, you know, they don't have well, kind of- I mean, three of them are on my top 10 list. So this year, coming But back. it's 2023, know, right? I know. So what happened? But they still were making good films, but they weren't making, to your first point, American palette. Yeah, films. exactly. Like, I think the thing about a lot of the Korean stuff I've seen or stuff that at it's least has crossed films over- Exactly. Yeah. Is like high melodrama, a lot of violence. Like yeah. there is stuff Sex. that's- Right, it's not so, like we're gonna be so dude and talk about feelings yeah. and that's not like, what Korean people do. Yeah, we uh, drink and we fight, mm -hmm. and uh, makes for great popcorn. <laughs> mm -hmm. uh, well, to that point, then well, actually, before we segue into burning, uh, what is your rating for Shoplifters? Oh yeah, yeah, uh, I love this movie. I have been floating the possibility of a five, so I'm gonna give it a five. I'm gonna be positive. Wow. Yeah, I really liked it. I'll watch it I again. I very rarely give things a five the first time I view it. Yeah. So I'm giving it a 4.5, which yeah. is my highest rating on the first viewing. Week. Uh, so that is going to obviously average to uh, 4.5. And uh, I don't have my documents, so next week we'll, or next time we'll figure all this it's stuff It's gonna be in out. the top three. Yeah, it'll be in the top three somewhere, yeah. for sure. Against uh, probably underneath Spectre for a second, still thinking is probably where we're going to put. Did we double five? Is that a five? We did, yeah. yeah. Okay, so it'll have to be below then, but definitely at top three, yeah. Yeah, I think so. But better than Bohemian Rhapsody, where we've fallen on. No, then Rami Malik were dangerous, and it does have to go up against the canonically best film of the year, which is Green Book. So, fuck, I forgot we watched Green Book. Green Book, so the most culturally relevant film. <laughs> That's ever been made. Um, okay, so we're talking about burning, and Dave, tell me. Actually, let me do a better segue into that. All right, Dave. So Bur next is burning. Just leave the whole thing. I'll leave the whole thing in. Uh, let me try a different segue. So, burning. <laughs> so, tell me why you hate this film. What is burning? I didn't know it was a Murakami adaptation. Sure. I should point out too that Dave is, this is his first time watching it. This is my second time. Yeah. Seeing it. Okay. Yeah. First time, never heard of it. I had trepidations because it's a 2018 Korean film. So I'm thinking it's going to be pretty fucking weird. I'm not wrong. You're not wrong. You know, when this movie opens, so number one, the cinematography is bananas. Yes, I don't know great. who built it, but it's pretty. And then I liked that it started off, you know right away that it's not like a, Korean serial killer detective fucking gonna have someone rip each other's eyes out type of film. And I didn't know it was a Murakami, so I didn't know what to expect. And as it sort of... So, okay, sorry, I, I'm, I'm, I'm interrupting you. But did you read on actually how this was adapted? Meaning like it's not actually just a Murakami no, story. No, The fuck. So there is a... Now I didn't write it down. It's not called Burning, but the Murakami story... Yeah. There is um, a William Faulkner sto a short story with the exact same name. They have nothing to do with each other, but they still have the same name. Yeah. And so someone realized this is like, why don't we adapt Merge. both of them together? Uh, that makes sense. So anyway, so, th so this thing's building. And I, honestly, I liked everything up to like two thirds. Stephen Yan, I learned that he has the same last name as me, which is kind of cool. 
he's good in it. He's great. Yeah. Um, I do feel like his Korean's great, but it does have a little American in it. So they should just add a little zine to I, just throw in there. But. This is the cultural context that I don't pick up on at all. I remember after I watched this the first time, this was in 2019, and I looked it up. There are some critics out there, some Korean critics specifically, who say that that is what the subtext is, is that he's, his Korean isn't actually all that good. Yeah. It's, <laughs> and that adds to the character. Like, again, we as a, perfect, but like, as a Western audience, I'm not going to pick up on that like, okay. at all. Yeah, so. so the way, I don't know, it's like, um, I'm, I'm really am not an expert because I don't speak right. Korean uh, at a grade kindergarten level. But uh, when you have people that are raised here or uh, like Caucasian people that learn Korean, it's like it's like learning English when you're from a different country. You can have a great vocabulary, but there are little nuances to pronunciation. So you can tell he's a little bit Americanized. And all they needed was like one little line because mm. he's like this billionaire, whatever, Korean, you know, yeah. uh, Chibble family kind of guy, like some fucking- Looks super hot. Super hot, doesn't have a care in the world. You know, we don't even know if he works. Yawning all the time. Yeah. He's very Dave Young coded. <laughs> Except that I'm nobody. And so he's like, uh, you know, it didn't need to have that tension. Anyway, so he's in it. It's great. And then as the intrigue builds and everybody starts turning into these like pantomimes of human beings, it's like, okay, I'm starting to see that this is going to turn into a Korean movie and get very, very sure. fucking weird. But by the end- When was that turn though for you? Like when does that turn to I something? Think, uh, it was the naked, the topless dancing part. Okay. Yeah. So like, I think leading up to that, you can tell the protagonist- he started to act a little weird. His physicality is getting a little weird. He's not reacting to the world correctly. Steven Yeo is starting to look like a serial killer. There's just something uh, cold about him. And the girl starts turning into this, she's not a human being at that point, uh, waif. I don't even know what happens to her, which is, that's where I started losing. I'm like, they set up this girl to be the central focal point of the tension between these two men. And then, and then she's nothing. It's like, she's underwritten. So this is so fascinating to me because... On my first viewing, I recall having the exact same reaction to it. Yeah. I mean, at, at about that point, it's like, so wait, what is this movie about? And this time, all I can say is that in the intervening four years since the first time I watched this, this movie always co keeps coming back to me in like little snippets as like every few months, I'm like, oh yeah, that movie burning. Like there's just something about it that like seeped itself into my brain. It's like, that's the movie to like work at it and yeah, yeah. unpack it and like what is this actually trying to say the second viewing i noticed something that i do think is absolutely intentional and now i'm gonna have to watch it again to see if i'm 100 right i think a lot of this movie is honestly about communication and when sure. like how words like spoken language is sometimes incompatible with what we are trying to communicate yeah and there's also characters who like literally cannot say yeah what they want to say like like the protagonist is like mute a lot of the time or just doesn't respond to like direct questions. Actually, all three of them you could argue, the, but yeah. The, the, the woman character like dances when she's like, I can't say it, I have to dance it, right? Yeah. So he has to like express herself through movements. Yeah. Um, uh, Stephen Yen, I guess, probably has some some of those elements and stuff as well. well. He speaks, yeah, he speaks on the surface and everything's... There's two animals in this where they're, the, the question is asked like, I wish you could talk. Like there seems to be yeah. things are being thrown at this. Like, okay, communication is the big thing here. With this underlying plot that goes on about our main character who I think we have to concede is this unreliable narrator because we're seeing this story through their eyes. So I don't know how much of this is actually happening versus truthfully what's happening. Okay. But certainly, the movie wants you to believe, at least for a certain amount of time, that the Stephen Young character is a serial killer. Right. 
Well, particularly towards the end. Yes. Like, yeah. My question to you is, do you think he is? Because this is like literally the fights that you'll get to in online about what people actually think. Well, this is the, you know, especially comparing to Interceptors, I think that where this movie misses my mark is that if you don't have that ending where our main protagonist has developed uh, severe autism, like he's, he's completely gone off the deep end. Yeah, his physicality is weird. He can't speak correctly. And he decides that he's going to murder this guy. Because he thinks he's murdered his some girlfriend. Yeah. And lit things up. Like, it just gets so abstract. But because there's that moment of brutal violence and they hold on him, he, mm-hmm. like, a stabbing death is hardcore. Yes, it's not fun. Immolates him. Oh, no, sorry, he uh, sets him on fire. Immolations when you set yourself on fire. And then he's naked in his truck and that's the end of the movie. And you're like, so now it directs the mind of the viewer to the serial killer narrative. Instead of, like, if it had just found a different way to decompress that. I don't know what it is. I'm not a good enough writer. But my, and I'm curious to know which plotline that is adapted, or if it's even adapted well, from the books. So I guess I don't know. That's I have the thing. Okay, I Wikipedia'd the synopsis of the short story because I've never read it. But if I know anything, I've read two Murakami books, and uh, all the other stuff like the repressed sexuality, like the masturbating, the yeah. obsession over women, the yeah. animals, things that are ethereal and disappear. Well, you can tell like that is right. for sure drawn from Murakami thing. But he's not overtly like serial killer violence. Like it's just not. I don't, in my opinion, it's not the way his brain is wired. I don't leave a book of his thinking like, oh yeah, this is right, right, fucking right. trouble. It's more like, holy shit, what am I doing with my life? And I feel like if you're going to do this thing like the disappearing cat, or you're going to do this thing with the dispute, like comparing them, um, had, I don't know how. I mean, this way there's only one Murakami. There's got to be a different way than an uh, act of visual, gory violence and then end credits. And I, that's where for me, I just, I didn't care for it so to answer my own question because of the subtext of miscommunication not being able to communicate properly uh, in my opinion it doesn't work if Stephen Nunn is supposed to actually be a serial killer I think the whole subtext is that he's not mm-hmm. and that the main character has completely made up this facade his like writerly abilities of making up stories has just <laughs> completely blown up in his head uh, oh that's the other thing about miscommunication his mother who phones he doesn't respond to him on the oh, phone and like well, and oh, the well that yeah. whole thing so there's there's all this stuff that's leading up to it i i will agree i even wrote it in my um letterbox this time because i did not write a review the first time i watched it i do think that ultimately yeah that that final payoff is anticlimactic yeah. like, i just it feels like it's supposed to be building up to something a little bit more momentous. Like yeah. I am disgusted and like terrified exactly the way that they want me to feel in that scene. But it's like, I need I that little extra thing. I think to push this over the edge into something that I would call like great or one of my or favorites of all time. Yeah. It is still so good up until that point that yeah. I'm able to forgive it a little bit. But like, yeah, I wish that this was something that just was a little bit extra to push it over into something great. Yeah, I watched them back to back and the same thing. Like I couldn't put down burning. I didn't want to stop it. I didn't scrub it. I wasn't bored. And as the thing develops and you know, and it's good enough that even as it gets weird, you notice these things. You notice his behavior is getting weird. You notice that like I didn't formulate specifically the theme of communication, but it's all there. Like nobody's agreeing on any point and there's so much uh, inherent tension built in that. And that's why like I I feel like the murder is a cop-out and I feel like maybe the writer or the director, if it's the same person, just didn't actually know, kind of like we're talking about, how do you end a film or a story of this nature? Does the girl have to reappear for us to get a closed loop? Right. I, I don't know. I, I It's hard. See, it's a hard a way. I know. Maybe this is too cheesy and this is maybe oh, the Western outlook a little bit too much. That's almost, I think, what would be the final night because you see that 
horrible crime. And then yeah, you see her like walk by or something like he's driving. You see her cross on the crosswalk or something like that. Like, oh, geez. Cat. Right. Something. But uh, it needed a piece. And yeah. I don't know. You know, we like to do the rewrite class. This one's a tough one because it is so abstract and heady and relies so much on people not acting human. This is why I would like to like um, as the English major of the podcast, I have read a couple of Faulkner short stories. Okay. I think we talked about this over text message, uh, which is worth really have you send me those text messages without me remembering that they talk about it in this movie. Uh-huh. So I thought it was just a random, like you're bringing Faulkner up for some reason. I'm like, what a weird text message, but all right. No. Um, we talk about Faulkner a lot. It's, yeah. I mean, that's what again, he adapted in allegedly, even though he can't speak, which is there's an irony there too. Irony in that. I always bounced off Faulkner a little bit, mostly because of his prose style. I just was never able to like fully get into and love. That's my thing. The other thing that they do mention in this, which is Gatsby, so F. Oh, yeah. F. Scott Fitzgerald, who I am a big fan of. Hemingway, too, like the, the easy reads. Who cares? Keep going. I actually don't think Hemingway is an easy read either, but uh, I do think that um, Fitzgerald is actually a pretty breezy read. Yeah. I think he feels very modern, even though he's like over 100 years old now at this point. For he's, some of the, uh, He's dead. Uh, he's super dead. Yeah. It's just but keep the back. first half of this movie is like very great Gatsby mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Like, it's the three people, like, it's the one guy who's in love with the girl, who yep. the girl's in love with the rich guy, and the rich guy maybe kills her. So it's like, there's all these Gatsby references, but that's not what they're adapting either. They're adapting Faulkner. So I just don't know how the Faulkner story goes into this. Maybe that does end in violence. I would guess so, because yeah, I don't know if it does. Oh, uh, he has that bend to him? A little bit. I just don't remember anything overtly like this visceral. In the visceral part is just Korean cinema. Yeah. You can have that murder without it being five minutes of him just, sure. like, gutting... Stephen Yan. And I do think if you're going to go that route, of course, you need to be violent because we want to show on how unhinged the main character has become. But it's almost like a Fincher-esque thing for him to like strip down, be naked in his truck and he's shivering. Sure. It's not a, like a sense of accomplishment. But like you said, there needs to be one more piece. If you're going to go that way, I want one more piece to leave a film and make it about me. Like I want to leave and think like, am I like this person or what have I been lying to myself about? Instead, this now ends, you're like, oh, the guy was just fucking crazy. Right. You know, and it uh, leaves a sour taste. You know, with the Interceptors, when you- Wait, 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 what? Uh, sorry. Uh, Shoplifters. Shoplifters, when I finish that film, I have to question myself. Right. E was the same thing. Like, uh, even the, what's the thing, Tokyo Story, even though I didn't really like it. When you leave it, it makes you- yeah, ask questions about how you're existing in the world. Burning, to me, at the end became this, yeah, it's like a popcorn flick, unfortunately. It started off with a lot of great energy. I don't know. It's, it's, it's just something left sour taste in my mouth. Yeah. I'm, I'm, I'm still in the, like, it's a solid movie, but yeah, it's, it's, it's stopped, beautiful. It stops there. Uh, this filmmaker is pretty interesting because I think he's only made five movies. He was he started up as like an artist, like a, like a painter or something okay. like that, and photographer, and then has only made a movie every seven or eight years. So he's in the young, okay. Uh, yeah, he's in his like 60s, mid 60s or late 60s now at this point. So have we seen anything else? I've not seen anything else okay. we've done, so. They're probably all weird. Wobbly. Uh, yeah, I, you know, I don't know this to be true because I don't study Korean film history, but I think around 2018, we're also starting to see Korean films, A, have this level of cinematography where they're just starting to look so clean and mm-hmm. sharp and intentional. Well, you look at any Park Chan Wook movie from this time, it looks gorgeous. Yeah. Whether you like the movie or not, it's like, it looks gorgeous. And they're also developing that voice. Like Japanese cinema did this too in like the 80s and 90s where they needed this bludgeoning violence just to be seen. And then they developed like a softer, more intentional voice. So we're seeing that with Korean cinema, I think right now. 
maybe not on Netflix so much, but the award world, there's a lot of really deep thought about plotting and just kind of the stories they want to talk about. But this one, I feel like it was just on the edge of that. And it, I felt like they copped out in my mind by making it so gross mm. in that last minute that I, that I recoiled. And I think that's why I didn't have this uh, excited feeling when it was done. I don't regret watching it, uh, but I wouldn't watch it again um, unless we had to do some heady retrospective in 20 years about our own podcast because we'll be famous and people right, will be like, right. remember when you talked about this film? What do you think about it now? Look at it. Look at it. <laughs> um, yeah. And then, I don't know, other than that, performances were fine. There's something about the girl, you know, when you brought up that she, I don't think she was ever, I didn't get the read that she was in love with Stephen Young's character. I just felt like the two were in love with each other. I actually, for a minute, thought this was going to be a revenge tale because her introduction is about how he bullied her. Yeah. But then when we meet her family, they're like, she lies about everything. Yeah. So now you're like, that's what I mean. Like, how, what do we, what do we trust? What do we know? Mess uh, but she also says like, all I want to do is disappear. Like there's all these yeah. things. Yeah. Who is she? What is she? Again, uh, what, if you want to get like really like, uh, into the weeds with this, the fact that she mentions the fact that she had plastic surgery and that's why she doesn't, right. he doesn't recognize her. Is that actually her? Right. Because her and her yeah. family are never in the same shot. That's together. right. So he could be coming and having a woman that just claimed that she was someone that she wasn't. Yeah. And uh, I mean, that's, yeah, absolutely. That that was also a thought in that, in that, around that same moment, around just after halfway point where I was like, revenge, imposter, you know, like Stephen Young's her accomplice, mm-hmm. like accomplice, and they're all like trying to manipulate this guy to admitting that he had like abused her or something. And then even when the well story comes out, and I'm like, that's a weird story. Like, you know, mm-hmm. crying alone and his face popped and I'm like, he doesn't know who she is. Like, what is going on? Yeah. Which, uh, you know, when you read in a novel, and this is another problem with adaptation, I know it's a short story, but you can create a lot of subtext by not making it about dialogue and you can create thoughts and you can write down notes that you want your reader to hmm. contextualize like their actions. With a film, you have to do it visually and it's... It's hard, right? Like I, I started not enjoying the performances at the end. Uh, you know, I know that the boy or whatever, the main guy is supposed to have lost his mind, but he starts doing like a zombie walk and, mm-hmm. you know, he doesn't emote well with his face. And I just lost interest in, like, I didn't give a shit that he was troubled at the end. I was just like, I'm going to figure this out, buddy. It's not that hard. She doesn't give a fuck about you. Go fall down a well. Yeah. Mm. And his fixation with Stevie and the stalking, it just started spiral that was that was my I remember on the first reading maybe this is more wish fulfillment than anything it's like are they you want them to have sex not sex but it's like <laughs> is it are, are they in love with each other like is he falling in love with the yeah, guy yeah. That, that's kind of what i thought it was going towards so a lot of things that i think this movie is going to and it like doesn't do any of that which is fine sometimes it's good to like not know where where you're going uh so what is your ultimate rating oh before we get to ultimate rating one last thing i was going to say the other reason why i think Stephen yun isn't actually a serial killer in this movie. Oh, okay, yeah. Is the fact of like, why would he come to this meeting in the first place? Mm. Right? It's like, if if you killed someone, right? Oh, I got the very end. Right. If you killed someone and I ring you up and like, hey, the Let's person you killed, abandoned I'm going to meet you for this abandoned field. Yeah. Like, your first inclination is going to be like, not a chance. Yeah. <laughs> There's no way. Well, uh, you know what's interesting just from a cultural perspective is that what I'm learning about where my family comes from is that like the class divide and accepted behavior within tastes is like different than how we would mm. uh, look at it. So plausibly, if this guy is from that upper, upper class type of lifestyle, you could read that as 
he may have killed her and he's so confident that this little nobody right. can't do anything can't about do. it that he would just go there one more time to rub it in his face. So there, there's that in play too. That's hard. We'd have mm-hmm. to ask a Korean audience member um, if that's how they would have read that because there's going to be a lot of resentment in that uh, social case per cast case. Do you say case? Yeah, I say cast, but... But there's an E. I say casty. Caste. Uh, uh, so- I think it was a miss that they did not play Gangnam Style over the credits. <laughs> All right, what do you going to rate this movie? Yeah, I, th- I think I settled on a three, like, yeah, three, three and a half. What do you think? I'm going to go with a three. I was, okay. I was a little embittered at the end. Well, I'm giving it a four. I'm giving it a solid, solid four. Softy. So that's kind of... Flaccid four. <laughs> flaccid, <laughs> flaccid four. <laughs> Just flopping around everywhere. It's gross. No comments. No comments. All right. Well, if um, this is our penultimate episode, like I said, so people can reach out if they want to, but I'm not even posting anything anymore. Uh, We'll find a new project. Yeah. This was fun. I will say, I wish we had done more of this level of cinema this year. And I think because we chose a year that was too close to us, we ended up getting mired a bit in sort of like commercially available films. Are you saying that Venom wasn't a worthwhile discussion? (laughs) Are you saying that you would rather watch Venom than this movie? Wow. Yes. 600, how much movie, how many did that make? 800 million dollars. Yeah, it's like ridiculous. Yeah, gross. Um, yeah, so I did enjoy these two films, finally. We've had a long run of like some shit movies. Well, we're going to end off in a bang next week, which is, um, I, I'm going to even spoil it, one of my all-time favorite comedies. We're going to watch... Oh, I'm going to push this button to keep up the fiction. Right, right, the fiction. Uh, we're going to watch... Wait, we totally dropped the fiction. We're going to watch... So deep. <laughs> it's so deep and rich. We're going to watch Game Night as our last episode. Game Night. That's a good one. I thought you were going to want to watch Mamma Mia 2. Yeah, but... It's not streaming anymore. Well, that and also I didn't want to force you to also watch the first Mamma Mia movie because otherwise you wouldn't know what was going on. Yes. Dave. How is that? Who owns that one? You think that would be widely streamable? You would think. Yeah. The music of ABBA belongs to the people, Dave. Well. Belongs to the people. You Are they not sort of like controlling their own discography? Uh, they keep over sweet. I, I just want to say this on the record then because we're not watching the Mamma Mia, Here It yeah. Comes Again. Yeah. Nope. That's not how. Mamma Mia, Here We Go Again. Okay. Uh, the sequel to the smash hit Mamma Mia. I am one of the people who believe that most what they're termed jukebox musicals okay. are trash. Okay. Which is like we're gonna take a popular artist's um oeuvre, oeuvre yeah. and it's some somehow shoehorn uh their life story yeah. through the music that they made. Like what's uh Jersey Boys is like that. What is that? Um, who are the the Frank and the Valentine's like who is that supposed to be? Four tops. Four tops, okay. Uh, uh I haven't seen or, or maybe the four seasons. I always forget yeah, yeah. I Anyways, there's that, but there's like the share show for the share music. We have on Broadway right now, MJ, which is Michael Jackson of the music. Uh, Billy Joel has done one. The Beatles have done one. Bob Dylan has done one. Like, Is that where Billy Joel's uh, meme about not playing, uh, what's that song? There's like- Oh, Piano of, Man is what yeah. you're saying? Yeah, yeah. Everything. Yeah. Okay, keep- Anyways. Yeah, that's- You guys feel right, yeah. Bohemian Rhapsody, you know? That's not really a- Using whatever. Queen music and a- But shit, um, the Mamma Mia musical- as it first appeared on Broadway, it. is one of the few that I think actually does it right, which is, it doesn't, it's not making the mo- the show about ABBA. Like, right. it's ABBA's songs, but it's an original story that uses ABBA's songs. So yes, it shoehorns a plot line through that, but the songs make sense in the context that they are, and 
This is the the fight that we had once on this show. We had Abba. We always get along. Abba weirdly does the thing that I love about musical theater, which is they use perfect rhymes in almost all of their songs. Right. So it fits the musical theater rather than trying to uh, tell me that like star and uh, bore rhyme with each other because they end in an R. It's gonna be fine. Everything's gonna be fine. Anyways, everything's gonna be fine. We won't watch that. Um, you're gonna miss one of the all time craziest things, which is Christine Baranski in that movie, which is like. Has to be seen to be believed. My dream movie would star Christine Baranski and Stephen Ewan. Um, but Game Night. Game Night is what we're going to watch. Yeah, it's a good one. From what I remember, it's too bad it's not on Netflix anymore. It was for like two or three years. Yeah, but, but that's that's how we roll. And we like to do things right before. Actually, Burning just came on, so that was actually the, we got lucky. the first time. Yeah. Usually it's like, hey, we're going to do this movie. It's been on Netflix for five years, and it comes up the week before we're supposed to record. <laughs> it's because of your weird calendar. Yeah. We're so rigid. We should have uh, had some flexibility, you know. How could like it's you, going off the? How could you gotta bounce go. from talking about uh, Oscar movies to something random? You have to feed the people. You have to yeah. lead them through SEO. That's you know we get that feedback a lot about how well curated <laughs> film list has been. All right, you have to you have to go pick up your kid. Is that what you're doing? Yeah, I have to uh, go and do familial. Here's my kid. Mm-hmm. There's no question about that. Is there? Well, let's hope not. <laughs> I wish I could close your loop.